The word multimedia is the use of a variety of artistic or communicative media using more than one medium of expression or communication. Café is a type of establishment that serves coffee and is known as a place where information can be exchanged. The following is the audio version of the Multimedia Café. And a happy Wednesday, February 6th to you folks. Welcome to the Multimedia Café. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you folks for pulling up a stool, joining the conversation here at the Multimedia Café, a place where you never know who you're going to run into, or what we're going to talk about. Let me tell you a little bit about the Multimedia Cafe real quick before we get into today's special guests and topic lineup. Multimedia Cafe, well, a cafe, exchange of ideas, a place where we like to have nice old civil conversation. Sure, we might infuse some passion from time to time, but it's just like being at a cafe. We have some good old-fashioned uh, conversation. Hopefully, you'll learn a little bit. Hopefully, your soul will be revived a little bit and also... You're entertained a little bit. Now, we're not just an entertainment program, but we do try to get in a little slice of humor from time to time. But for the most part, we want to make sure that we bring you experts. We want to bring you people that you can trust, information that you can feel good about. And then if there is something humorous or something as a joke, it's so funny that you know it's a joke and you don't realize if there is this real or is this not real or anything along those lines and we're not going to bring you a lot of bombastic sensationalism when it comes to language and over the topness and that sort of thing it's just you know what life's a little bit too short to get revved up like that so consider this your little break your coffee break your multimedia break if you will oh multimedia what does that mean well it means a variety of media so what we do here at the multimedia cafe we've got interviews with people over the phone over skype over facebook watch maybe a little face-to-face -face action hey old school man we do that too all kinds of different ways and on the flip side of that now keep in mind if you asked out that nice barista at the coffee shop, or maybe you're waiting on that sales pitch, how's it going to go? Well, let me tell you something. All the different ways that we know how to contact people, that's how many ways that you and me are getting ignored, too. You know what? They're not responding to my email. They're not responding to my Facebook message or my tweet or my LinkedIn message. So there's a lot of different ways to get in touch with people and contact people. And on the flip side, there's a lot of ways that you can ignore people. So maybe next time when you tell somebody you couldn't get in touch with them, you better rethink that because that isn't the case anymore. You can get in touch with about everybody. I mean, it's there's a very limited amount of people that you can't reach via Gmail or via Facebook or LinkedIn or the telephone. I mean, you can grab people's phone numbers on Google searches for crying out loud. So. I'm rambling now. We do this at the Multimedia Cafe. We got to get the waitress or the host over here in order to keep things moving along. What's that? I'm the host? Oh, I've got to move things along. Okay, well, then we should probably do that. Thank you for that. Okay, coming up on today's program, we got a pretty good show today. We have uh, Sirni Rao, who's the host and founder of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. Uh, where they've conducted over 600 interviews with thought leaders from people all walks of life. And what they've done is um, created a little multimedia platform, much like how we've done with ours in the world of uh, oil and gas with the crude life. We're expanding into more broader topics and with the Multimedia Cafe. 
and Mr. Rao, uh, one of the things that we're going to talk about is excessive digital consumption. So all of the time we spend on our phones, all the time that we spend at work, and then all the time that we go home and watch Netflix and Hulu and the WWE Network and all that stuff. Okay, there is an actual science behind what's going on there, and we get into it a little bit with uh, Sirni Rao. And what we talk about is, first of all, that humans just are not meant for this many flickering lights as much as we're consuming them. So there's that, you know, red flag of a warning. Secondly, and this one's really interesting because I think everybody knows this, but they need to be reminded. And so we do get into this a little bit, and that's digital fatigue. What digital fatigue is, is that throughout the day, every website you click on and every email you respond to and all these different things, you're making decisions. And it's no wonder you don't know what to eat at the end of the day when dinner comes around. It's no wonder you spend a half an hour trying to find something to watch on Netflix or just flipping through the stations if you still have a TV. I mean, that that's a digital fatigue. We can only do so many choices in a day, and geez, by noon, some of us are wiped out because we've had to go on all these different websites or clicks. and that. Even if it's a Kim Kardashian uh, throwaway article, you still made a decision to click on it, and that's a decision. So that's discussed. Another little nugget that I found interesting is um, like Facebook, for example. These, in, these, these new jobs that come out of nowhere and that type of thing. If you go back to the 90s, I believe it was the 90s, McDonald's, their corporate uh, used to employ 70, 71 child psychologists in their marketing department. That's how serious they were about Happy Meals and clowns and, and grimaces and that sort of thing. They actually employed 70-some child psychologists in their marketing department. Uh, fast forward that to, to, to today, and one of the things that we talk about in the interview with uh, Sirni Rao is how Facebook has what's called attention engineers. So they have people that their job is to engineer ways to get our attention. So it's it, very interesting. Uh, I really, and we're going to start off with that interview. In the second half of the program, William Prentice, he's the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, gives us an update on the Davis Refinery. Davis Refinery is being uh, designed. It's going to do about uh, 49,500 barrels per day of Bakken crude oil, so just shy of 50,000. And it's the first refinery being built in the United States in the last 50 years. Can you believe that? It's been 50 years since they've taken a, a refinery from top to bottom, from start to scratch. Over the last 50 years, they've just been updating and remodeling um, refineries. So what this is going to do is it's going to set the precedent for the planet on the new green environmentally sound energy when it comes to refineries. You're gonna see a ripple happen after this refinery cuts their ribbon that some states are gonna say, okay, Mr. Refinery, you need to update yours now because the science is proven and it's done in the Bakken oil fields. So it's, it, this, is a, this is one of those stories that you're probably gonna read about in history class that not you, but our kids' kids will read about it in history class. So we talk about that, get an update from him. There's some misinformation uh, and some recent Associated Press articles. We get into that as well uh, with their permit to construct, that sort of thing. And, you know, honestly, whether some of the opposition to this refinery is just sheer emotion. 
Is there any fact behind the opposition or is it a motion? And the reason we bring that up is because uh, they received 11,000 public comments, the uh, Davis refinery. So they had to take, this is like an 18 month process to get this thing approved through one of the uh, means that they have have gone because of these comments and everything. So out of like 11,000 of them, all but like 200 were copy and pasted the same exact wording. So that's that's a special interest group that's uh, um, financed. That's, you know, that's taken some waste in time and energy, that sort of thing. Trying to bleed out uh, financially some of these companies that are really trying to improve the, the planet's um, environment. And the environmental groups are trying. It's just you can't make it up. You just can't. Anyway, so uh, we're going to get talk to William Prentice a little bit later in the program. Also, Sierney Rao, the host and the founder of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, is coming up next. We're going to talk about excessive digital consumption. You're going to want to really stick around for this, folks. So make sure you stay on your, you know, you know what? And if you miss this show on the radio, make sure you digitally consume us on our podcast because, you know, we're going to talk about excessive digital consumption. So I, I, I really want to, you know, enable you to use some digital consumption if you miss us on the old radio analog. But we've got options, folks. That's the nice thing about the Multimedia Cafe. We've got not only multiple ways to interview people, but we also distribute it through multiple mediums as well. All right. My name is Jason Spies. This is the Multimedia Cafe. With John F. Kennedy and the Beatles. Yeah, yeah. Hey, on Mama, ma to the night. Hey, on Mama, ma hey, Life in a northern town. Hey, on Mama, ma to the night. Hey, on Mama, ma hey, And they shut the factory down. The evening had water rolled down the train as we followed him down to the station he would never wave goodbye see it written in his eyes train rolled out of sight right by hey now mama mine to the night hey now mama Jason Speaks, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. You want someone who's competent. You don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Speaks on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Speaks, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Speaks. Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool, joining the conversation here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we're going to talk with Sierney Rao. He's the founder and the host of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, and we're talking about excessive digital consumption. All right. Uh, my name is Sierney Rao. I'm the host of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. Oh, that's right. You do a podcast, too, don't you? I'm, of course, uh, bringing you in, and I appreciate you coming on to talk about excessive 
uh, digital consumption, and that's, you've written about that, and that's where I discovered you is through the written word, yeah. but you also do podcasting. Talk about the whole media, multimedia stuff that you do. Well, um, I produce a podcast, as you noted. Uh, I write, so I've interviewed something like 700 people over the last 10 years. They range from bank robbers to drug dealers to performance psychologists to authors to entrepreneurs. Uh, they're all just people that I find uh, really interesting and I'm curious about. Um, I'm also a public speaker. Uh, so I think that, you know, to kind of get us to, you know, talking about what you kind of found me for is excessive consumption. Naturally, as a media creator, you spend a lot of time uh, consuming content. Like, you also spend a lot of time looking at what other people are doing. And what I just started to see uh, was that we live in this world where we are inundated with inputs. Uh, from social media to email to text messages to websites. We've never uh, been drowning in so much information. And it's really hard to hear the sound of your own sort of creative voice and your own thoughts if you are constantly inundated with other people's inputs. It's just not uh, a natural way for us to, to operate. Like, we were never meant to, to function like this. You know, one of the ways that um, we market this program, the Multimedia Cafe, is one of the programs I do and part of our part of our tagline is, is you know, um, we we you, we give you content in so many different forms, and we do interviews in multiple media's that sort of thing. And we right. of, we often joke about how you know we thank people for tuning in and checking out our content because you can get it in so many places. The other day, I was at the gas station, and Steve Harvey was giving me news at the gas pump. I mean, you can't even go get gas without uh, getting inundated by content. And so yeah, it's interesting yeah. that you this topic has um, kind of resurfaced in a new way, I guess, um, because the success of digital consumption, I've never seen it really from the creativity angle like that. I've, I've seen it a broad brush, but the way that you kind of dissected a little bit was unique in its own form. Talk to me about um, what, what drove you to finally write this article, because there, it was a little bit of introspective from your part. Well, I think it was my own sort of personal experience, you know, uh, and it's kind of a fitting question uh, given the timing of it. I just took 30 days off of social media, like, well, in January I quit, and I'd been really stuck on a, a proposal that I've been working on for a book, and, you know, after 30 days away, the ideas just started to flow like they had before, and it was just, you know, a ton more writing. I've been publishing a blog post every day. Uh, so I, I saw that, wait a minute, you know, like we aren't giving ourselves time to think, you, you know, if you're, if you want to do creative work, you have to have solitude, you have to have time for self-reflection, you have to have time to express those thoughts, um, and that requires being disconnected from the world, it requires not being inundated constantly with information, because um, if you basically have your attention constantly shifting from one stimulus to another, which is pretty much the sort of default way that uh, most people live in the world today, it's virtually impossible for you to ever get to the point of uh, you know being deeply focused on one thing enough to the point where it will lead to a creative breakthrough. Because what we know from all of the sort of neuroscience research is that one of the triggers of what they call a flow state is uh, you know uninterrupted focus on one thing, and yet that is in such short supply in the world today and excessive consumption plays a big role in that like if people reduce the amount of things they were consuming they would find it much easier to reach that sort of heightened sense of, of you know, creativity heightened sense of awareness this, this is what they call flow state and so i think that even just 
you know, being off of social media for 30 days. And I, I've been pretty mindful about the way that I use social media for the better part of the last two years, or at least I thought so. You know, I use distraction blocking tools. I probably spent no more, I was spending probably no more than a minute or two a day on Facebook. Like I drastically reduced my use of it. But when I logged back in after 30 days, I think what struck me was how compulsive this behavior really is, even for somebody who is as disciplined as I am. I'm like, wait a minute, like, you are not making these choices consciously, whether you think you are, you know, whether you believe it or not. These are choices that are being made for you by the people who make these products, because what they've done is they've designed these things to be incredibly addictive. Um, the, you know, I mean, they have people who are literally called attention engineers. I mean, and that, you know, people say, oh, you know, the, the mission of Facebook is to make the world more open and connected. It's like, yeah, but their business model is to sell your attention to advertisers. Those two things are kind of in conflict with each other. So I think that once you have this experience firsthand for yourself, which I recommend to everybody, uh, you, one, begin to question the value of things like social media in your life. You also begin to question the value of, of consumption in general. It's very important. Is this really adding anything to my life? I mean, I think my default rule at this point in my life is, okay, treat the information that you consume like the food that you eat. And if most people you know, ate food the way they consume content, they would all be overweight, probably have diabetes, and not be in the hospital. Because they just, you know, basically consume so much crap online. You know, one of my friends on social media is like basically the donuts of digital content. Uh, and that's a, a rather unfortunate way to, to live. I mean, it, it's just not healthy. I think it uh, causes us to disconnect from not only the world within us, which is something that somebody told me, but I, I think we get disconnected with the people that are right there in our lives at, in order to, quote unquote, connect with strangers on the internet, like people that we've never met, who we assume we have a relationship with, when in all reality, you know, we couldn't call 98% of them to bail us out of jail at 2 a.m. Yeah, you know, I, I agree. They are yeah. friends. They are friends, according to Facebook, but they aren't really your friends. Um, and so I think that, you know, one of the other things that has come from this, and, you know, we're going on a few different tangents here, but I think the most awful thing that has come from social media is that we've created this culture of artificial celebrity, right, where people can be famous for being famous, and being famous is suddenly accessible to people like you and I, as opposed to, oh, you don't need to be Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie to become famous, so we now have this sort of, you know, really screwed up value system in which fame is, is a high priority, for, particularly for a lot of young people who've grown up on this stuff. Uh, you know, and the danger of that is that you start measuring your self-esteem and vanity metrics, and that's like just a rabbit hole of absolute shit to lead to mental health issues, and all the research is showing this, right? We know for the last several years that um, you know, you're seeing increases in anxiety, increases in depression, particularly among a group of younger people, and, you know, the, when I look at the research, like, what's changed in the last 10 or 15 years? And there's only one thing, and it's, you know, social media and smartphones. Uh, we were never meant to consume like this. This is not healthy for the brain. So, you know, it's not just, you know, something that gets in the way of the creativity. It gets in the way of numerous other parts of your life. One of the more interesting parts of your article on excessive digital consumption and, and how that stifles creativity and <clears throat> bleeds into many parts of your life and i agree by the way I, I went off social media for two years um i went off when i was going through a kind of a custody personal type of a thing i, I went off social media and in fact after the year was done i stayed off it for another year because i enjoyed just not having it and so i went back on primarily for my business as a form of distribution just like a newspaper yeah. boy you know that type of thing um sure. and back in 2007 
When my son was a year old, I got rid of our TV. So I haven't had a TV in our household for over 10 years. Now, we stream things online, but what I found was just not having the TV on, not having Fox News on, CNN, whatever in the background, that eliminated commercials and that eliminated a lot of the fear that uh, a lot of content brings today, a lot of speculative fear in today's world. Um, when it yeah. comes to news and information and that sort of thing. That's a whole different side tangent. We won't get into that, but um, I wanted just to give you those uh, examples of my life so that, for one, to let you know my background, but two, also the listening audience to, to kind of validate what you were talking about is when you do go off social media, it is amazing how much introspective um, lo looking within yourself can be done so easily because... Um, trying to just go, go go to a coffee shop and see how many people actually have a conversation and how many people just sit together and play on their phones. It's it's amazing, you know, that type of thing. But um, going back to your article very quickly, digital fatigue, this was a very interesting part of your story, your article that I found uh, to be a lot more accurate than I think people realize that throughout the day, I'm going to very quickly give an overview and then you kind of get, get into some detail, but throughout the day, online you make so many decisions that at the end of the day you're, you're done making decisions even like what am yeah. i going to have for dinner and that sort of thing talk to me about that because i think a lot of people are affected by that and they don't have any idea well yeah i mean if you think about it right so the, the premise of that whole concept was based on like well, yeah, hold on just a second sorry about that Mr. Rao, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a second. When we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Sierney Rao, the host and the founder of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. We're talking about excessive digital consumption. My name is Jason Spies. This is the Multimedia Cafe. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool, joining the conversation here. Up next, we're going to continue the conversation with Sierney Rao, host and founder of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, and we're talking about excessive digital consumption. The, uh, I mean, you're hearing about it this way, right? So wrote about Bob Meister wrote a book called Willpower, and willpower basically is all determined based on how many decisions that you've made throughout the day. So let's assume, you know, for the sake of simplicity, that you basically have a balance of willpower, like you have a bank balance. Um, and for every decision you make, that balance gets depleted, kind of for the same way that every purchase that you make, your bank balance goes down, right? Now, what happens with, particularly online, is that people don't view those things as decisions, but every link you click on, every email you respond to, every article you read, every Facebook post that you click like on, all of those things are decisions. They seem really inconsequential because they're like, really, are you kidding me? None of these are you know, all that important, and they're not. Uh, but the reality is that they actually deplete your willpower because they're decisions so that you know, when you get to an important decision, you have a really hard time. I and mean, I, I notice in my own life, you know, nowadays, you, know, you get on Netflix at night to, to stream something, uh, you're kind of like, what the hell am I supposed to watch? There's so many options here. And then part of me wonders if the reason we feel that when we land on, on Netflix is because of the fact that we've had this, you 
I know we used to joke about how, um, yeah, we were going to watch a movie Friday night, but then after 45 minutes of trying to find something on Netflix, we got tired and went to bed. Because there's yeah, so exactly. much to choose from, you know, and you don't want to make a bad choice yeah. because your time is so limited and yada yada type stuff. So, um, yeah, and I, I can't help but wonder if part of the reason for that is because we've already made so many decisions throughout the day. Oh, I agree. Well, I appreciate the time today. Uh, talk to me about what you got coming down the pipe and how people can uh, make you some money. Um, well, you know, I, I'm a, a professional speaker. I'm, I'm actually at a in Colorado at the moment for a keynote speaking engagement, which is at four o'clock this afternoon. So uh, I'm just grabbing lunch. But um, Unmistakable Creative is the podcast. Uh, that's where pretty much all of our work lives, and uh, you can find out more about what I do there. And that was Sierney Rao, the host and the founder of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. And we talked about excessive digital consumption. He also writes a blog and articles about that topic as well as many others as he's conducted over 600 interviews with thought leaders as well as he's authored three books as two. The Wall Street Journal bestseller, The Art of Being Unmistakable, Unmistakable, Why Only is Better Than the Best, and The Audience of One, Reclaiming Creativity for Its Own Sake. Thank you, Sierney Rao. All right, coming up next, William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, gives us an update on the Davis Refinery. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Even when the earth crumbles under my feet Even when the ones I love Turn around and crucify me I won't ever ever let you down I won't fall, I won't fall, I won't fall as long as you're around me Even when the rain falls, even when the flood starts rising Even when the storm comes, I am washed by the water even when the rain falls, even when the flood starts rising, even when the storm comes, I am washed by the water. Even when the rain falls, even when the flood starts rising, even when the storm comes, I am washed by the water. Even when the rain falls, even when the flood starts rising, even when the storm comes, I am washed by the water. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool, 
Joining the conversation here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, gives us an update on the Davis Refinery. This is Bill Prentice, uh, CEO at Meridian Energy Corp. Meridian Energy Group, of course, spearheading the um, Davis Refinery, going to be constructed outside of Belfield, North Dakota. So let's start with a uh, just kind of an overview update. Where are we at with the refinery these days? Well, um, as you know, we've been uh, in construction out in the field. We had to button that up for the winter. Um, we also had a lot of legal activity to take care of in connection with our permits, and that appears to be mostly behind us now. Uh, we're in design. Uh, McDermott's our contractor. Uh, they're a big international firm, and uh, they will be using a lot of local contractors in the field, but right now they're busy on design and procurement, and we'll move back to the field this coming spring. I did want to ask you about an um, Associated Press story that I read about your permit to construct. Uh, I had to do with some local people about whether they would be adversely affected by the refinery. And, and anyway, that quote in there about the concern about the health and well-being seemed to stand out a little bit to me. Did that, did you guys, were you guys able to see that or address that or comment on that in any way? Well, we, you know, we have to be selective in how we address what appears in press. You know, there's a lot of misinformation, uh, the air quality permit was something we fought long and hard for and had to do a lot to make sure that uh, this project is not going to negatively impact anybody. Um, you know, we did a lot of work to make sure that that's not going to happen, and I think uh, it's just improper for people to continue to apply that this project is going to somehow be a heavy polluter. It's, it's going to be the cleanest such project on the planet when it's done. Uh, we've also done studies that show that uh, that there's actually going to be more pollution from the visitation to the national park, the TR Park, that will show up at the refinery than there will be pollution from the refinery show up at the park. Uh, 700,000 visitors per year produce a lot of air pollution, and uh, uh, we're actually the recipients of that at the refinery more than the park will suffer from the refinery itself. Um, we also did another uh, recent analysis. It's going to appear as a, a white paper in some of the technical press showing that a dollar uh, invested in a clean refinery like Davis, because it reduces pollution from other dirty refineries, is a better investment than buying into a wind park or a solar array. It reduces greenhouse gases by much, much more. So by cleaning up our conventional energy sources, we can get back to a cleaner planet a lot quicker than by going after such things as, uh, as those wind towers. Another airplane, another sunny place. I'm lucky, I know, but I want to go
had just stepped outside when everything was going right. Well, then I know just why you could not go along with me. Cause this was not your dream, but you always believed in me. Another winter day has come and gone away, and neither Paris or Rome. But I wanna go home Let me go home And I'm surrounded by Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool. Joining the conversation here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, gives us an update on the Davis Refinery. It almost seems like, because really, we're talking about science here. And at the end of the day, you guys had an 18-month review, somewhat of 11,000-plus comments, 900 pages of scientific analysis. I think the EPA was even involved. I mean, you've had a fine-tooth comb on a fine-tooth comb, yet it still seems, you know, this misinformation keeps popping up. Is, is a lot of this emotional, or is it the old mentality of refineries? Because it almost seems like you guys just continue to produce the information that continues to get validated, that continues to go through that cycle, Yet every now and then I'm seeing that there's still questions coming out of somewhere, I guess. So do you understand the question? Is this is this an emotional, misinformational type thing? Or, or talk to me a little bit about that. Well, yeah, some of it is, I'm sure. And we have to try to avoid the emotional response of, of resenting people continuing to question, you know, our our honesty and our integrity and, and the science that goes into what we've we've done here. But when we started out, there was no way to get around the fact that people looking at what we're doing are going to associate our efforts with the refineries they see all over the place, which, you know, our, an average age of a refinery here in the U.S. is now well over 50 years. So they're not real clean. Uh, they don't look real nice. And, yeah, if you're reading about a new refinery going in near you, you're going to start to get worried. So we decided early on we we're going to treat every concern as being valid and address it as fully as possible, uh, both with regard to the science and, and everything else, because, you know, there's an emotional aspect to all of that. Um, but then, you know, there's there's kind of a tipping point where you go through everything over and over again, and, you know, we get our permit, and it was, it was actually longer than 18 months, and, you know, 11,000 public comments that were addressed, each one of them separately, 
um, and the science over and over again, the engineering work that was done to show what we're doing, uh, you know, the health department working with EPA to make sure that there was no issue unaddressed and that every every bit of available knowledge was applied to the review. And you begin to wonder, are there people who are just going to refuse to hear the answer and keep asking the same question over and over again? Because the answer is not what they want to hear. Um, so I think to a certain extent, we're at that tipping point now where people are starting to see that there are certain folks who just are never going to hear the answer, are never going to be satisfied that the concerns have been met because they just don't like the idea of a new refinery. And, you know, I've got a kind of a two-part question that can go two different directions. So if you want to answer both sides of it, you certainly can. But at the same time, don't feel you have to because some of it has to do with patience to where you guys have been extremely patient through this ordeal. I've joked, I think probably six months ago, I started joking that you guys have the patience of Job. And now we're here six months later and we're still talking about some of the same things that you guys have already been validated for. You know, when we're talking about energy tech and the cleanest refinery on the planet and some of the advanced innovation you guys have had, all of in the comments to the public and this and that, a lot of this has been transparent, if not all of it. I mean, these 900 pages, these are available to the public, aren't they? And you guys have been very transparent to this whole thing. Um, is, is that 11,000 emails, do you think that kind of represents what's going on here? Is that those 11,000 emails were copy and pasted? I mean, even the, sta the state health told me that that um, the North Dakota Department of Health said that like 99% of them or 95% of them were basically worded exactly the same. So it gave the appearance that it was copy and pasted or somebody had a centralized campaign against this. Is that kind of what's going on here? Is that it's really being magnified and you guys are just having a lot of patience through this? I mean, you understand my question? Because there's a lot there to unpack. But Well, yeah, and I... You know, it's a, if the question is vague, it's because the situation is vague. And I, you know, we, we had to address everyone's individually of those comments, but you're right. Uh, quite a few of them were uh, copies, you know, from an email blast uh, from an organization that has always had kind of a knee-jerk anti-reaction to what we're trying to do and has refused to to even talk to us about what we're, we're trying to accomplish here. Um, you know, I, I think that, well, I mean, you know, talk about emotions. Okay, my emotional reaction to some of this is if you care about the environment or if you say you care about the environment and you do not support this project, then you're a hypocrite because we're doing so much more to clean up this industry, which needs to be cleaned up, than anyone gives us credit for and we're trying to explain that story to people who are supposed to care, and they just don't want to listen. Uh, it doesn't fit their their model. Um, but yeah, the, a lot of more copies. Uh, there were, you know, just a, out of that eleven thousand, there were only uh, several hundred individualized or you know identifiably individual comments, and a lot of them were very thoughtful. And you know, because of that. Of course, we spent more time responding to those than the others because some of them we had to actually do work on to make sure we responded properly. <clears throat> but we did so, 
and I appreciate every one of those comments. The fact that an organization can convince, you know, 8,000 people to press the send button on a, on a canned response is some people consider that a, you know, a questionable commitment to doing anything. But in my book, you know, the fact that somebody read something decided, well, I guess I have to at least do that. It deserves a response. Um, so yeah, we treated each one separately and individually and, and try to respond appropriately. Um, but you know, there is a patience uh, point and we, we're starting to get frustrated with some of the ongoing opposition because it seems to us that they just will never, ever want to even listen to what we're saying. How much of this is, um, I guess, a, a question or a fear that they're putting into regulators' heads or the public's heads or something that, you know, after you guys get this constructed and passed permits, this and that, it'll just be the Wild West after that, and there's no regulation on you after that. Correct me if I'm wrong, but after you guys get this up and running, you still have criteria you have to meet, don't you? Yeah, the air quality permit grants limits on every single emission. And unlike old refineries, we are going to monitor each and every one of those individually continuously and that information is available on a continuous basis to the agency uh you know it doesn't quite work this way but just imagine a big red button at the uh the health department's office in uh, bismarck if we go over those limits they hit that button period and we shut down until we fix the problem um, you know knowing that that can happen keeps an operator from ever reaching those limits, let alone crossing that line. So what's the timeline look like? Um, I know you kind of briefed it earlier on, but um, where, where what's the next uh, six months to a year look like for you guys? Well, we'll be back out in the field in the spring, as I mentioned, <clears throat> and, you know, getting steel up in the air. I think uh, being an operation by the end of 2020 is starting to get questionable um, because of the delays that we suffered on the, on the permits. And also, whenever we have a winter like the one that you guys are having up there now, uh, people start to worry about schedule. So, you know, we'll, <clears throat> excuse me, we'll be in operation certainly, you know, for second quarter of 2021, the way it looks now. Any final thoughts as we kind of wrap up here on the uh – Davis Refinery update from the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, Mr. William Prentice. Any final thoughts? Well, you know, uh, first time we talked uh, a couple of years ago, we were real eager to get started. And uh, I was saying how how proud we were of our effort and eager to be part of uh, North Dakota's energy scene. Uh, we're still eager for that to happen. Uh, it's been shoved down the road a little bit, but we're going to get there and be in operation soon, and we'll be very, very happy to be part of the North Dakota Energy Scene. And that was William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, talking about the Davis Refinery, the first greenfield refinery to be built in the United States in the last 50 years. 
They have a designed throughput capacity of, of 49,500 barrels per day, just shy of 50,000 of Bakken crude oil. Thank you, Mr. William Prentice, for joining the conversation today. Also, I'd like to thank Sierney Rao, the host and the founder of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, for joining us to talk about excessive digital consumption. And that's going to do it for today's program. We'll be back tomorrow here at the same time on the same radio station as well as the podcast. From the staff of the Multimedia Cafe, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to savor life and enjoy the spice. Day.